Over the next 25 weekdays, we will be unveiling each of the teams in 24-7 Sports Summer Top 25 and doing a Morning Blitz-style preview for each. We kick the countdown off today with the number 25 team in our rankings, Mario Cristobal's Oregon Ducks. It's May 29th. My name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. Until Chip Kelly left for the NFL after the 2012 season, the Oregon Ducks had only had three different head football coaches since 1976. In the six intervening years, however, Oregon has already equaled that mark, with Mario Cristobal set to become the third new Ducks football coach since 2013. When Willie Taggart left for FSU after just one season in Eugene, Cristobal was promoted from within in an effort to recapture some of that bygone stability. So where does that leave the Ducks entering 2018? Matt Prem of Duck Territory joins us now. Matt, we've got the Ducks ranked at number 25 in our summer top 25. In your honest opinion, too high, too low, or is this about right for Oregon? I think that's probably about right. I mean, there's a lot of strengths with this team, notably with Justin Herbert, a guy that, you know, if you look at the mock drafts for various outlets, is looking like to be a guy going into the football season that's going to be a top five projected pick in the in the first round overall. And then they've got an offensive line that's, you know, stout as can be. Uh, but they've got depth issues along the receiver position, unproven talent there as well. They've got their concerns on the defensive side of the ball and the secondary. So I think that's, that's about right. You know, they, they've, they've only won, you know, 10 or so games. Uh, it's actually 11, 11 or 12 games, you know, the last two seasons talent is there to be really good, but at the same time, there's enough question marks where, you know, the back end of the top 25 is pretty fair. It was in 2012 that FIU made the curious decision to fire Mario Cristobal as their head coach. Since then, he's had an opportunity to work under Nick Saban and Willie Taggart. Now that he finally has the keys to his own program again, what do you think a Mario Cristobal football team wants to look like? Smash mouth football is the first word that comes to mind or the first you know idea that comes to mind because they've made a conscious effort to play very physical up front. They've, they've made a conscious effort to get their offensive linemen bigger uh, for the first time. in what I can remember covering this team for nine years, they're going to have five guys across the board, over 300 pounds along the offensive line. That's never happened at Oregon. And all five of those guys are going to be well over the 300 pounds thresholds. But at the same time, you know, they don't want to be known as a school that's going to just run the ball 40 times and you know win a, win a football game 28 to seven. You know, they they know they have a really good quarterback in Justin Herbert, and they know that they've got a, a couple young guys that, that they feel like that can replace him down the road and, and continue the trend of having some deep threats. So I think they're going to have they're going to have that smash mouth mentality, but at the same time they're installing a pistol under Jim Mastro, the running back coach who helped form that at Nevada. So I think you're going to see a little bit of smash mouth, but at the same time, you're going to see some spreads and some deep shots downfield. The Ducks got some pretty big news in the past couple of days. Dallas Warmack will be transferring in from Alabama, eligible to play immediately as a graduate transfer. But will he play immediately as a graduate transfer? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's a chance. He's probably the odds-on favorite uh, to, to land 
the the right guard spot. It's the, really the only position that's going to be open along the offensive line going into fall camp. You, you know, coaches at Oregon and across the country, they always say every job's open. Every job needs, to, you know, is a battle and, and during spring ball and during fall camp. But in reality, they kind of have an idea. And as long as that player who's a returning starter kind of, you know, holds his own, he gets the job back. And that's kind of where Oregon's at right now about the other positions. They've got four other juniors that all have starting experience. Three of them have started three, two years in a row going into th- their third year as a full-time starter. So Warmack is probably going to be a guy that's going to be the odds on favorite because the other guys behind him are underclassmen. Jacob Capra is going to be a redshirt sophomore. Now he has more experience working under the Oregon offense under crystal ball than Warmack does. I know Warmack played for crystal ball at Alabama, but you know, the offense is a little bit different from, from Oregon and, and Alabama. And then there's also Penny Sewell, a top 50 recruit Oregon's highest rated prospect for the 2018 recruiting class that signed that when they signed him, they, they had the idea that he's going to push for a starting role. So, you know, Oregon by adding Warmack, Oregon just, doubles or triples the, you know, the depth at the guard positions now that they have uh, for the offensive line for Oregon next season. They don't have to just thrust the true freshman into the starting role if they don't want to, or if, if Sewell is not capable or, you know, they, they, they don't have to lean on, on Jacob Capra, a sophomore who, who played a lot last year, but at the same time didn't necessarily, you know, dominate as a redshirt freshman. And that's kind of an unfair you know word to use, but, Warmack is, is kind of, I think, going to be that, that safety valve. If, if he comes in and he wins the starting job, that's expected. If he doesn't, that means someone else that's an underclassman is, is performing at a higher rate than maybe expected going into fall camp. Outside of Warmack, who are some first-year players, whether they're guys who redshirted, transferred, or came in with the class of 2018, who you're looking at as guys who could potentially make an instant contribution in 2018? Oh, sure. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is a redshirt freshman, Daywood Davis. The receiver. Oregon doesn't have a lot of talent. They don't have a lot of size at the receiver position. They don't have a lot of depth at the receiver position. And he was a guy that he's packed on over 20 pounds of weight since getting to Oregon last year as a true freshman. And during the spring game, he got a couple touchdown passes and really showed his burst and his speed that he can bring to the table, a real vertical threat that this offense desperately needs. And I would expect that Daywood Davis is going to be a guy out of Florida that's going to have the shot to really be a home run hitter for Oregon. Isaiah Crocker, a true freshman, a guy that was a, a U.S. Army All-American, I believe, off the top of my head, that, that signed with Oregon this past season. He's going to come in and probably have a chance to play right away as well as a true freshman. Spencer Webb, a tight end from NorCal, a four-star guy. He, he will have a chance. I already mentioned Penny Sewell uh, as a player that, that will have an opportunity to play right away. And then you, on the defensive side of the football, uh, you've got Steve Stevens, Javon Holland, two Army All-American safeties. And then there's also Adrian Jackson, a linebacker that was an, uh, a four-star prospect. Uh, I believe he played in the Under Armour All-American game, and he's going to be a guy that's going to also push for a starting role. So th- there's there's going to be about seven or eight freshmen, whether they're true or redshirt, that are going to you know push to crack into that too deep and potentially even start for Oregon next season. Bet DSI has Oregon's over/under win total at seven point five. As things stand today, are you taking that over or that under? I'm taking that over because they have three just terrible non-conference games. They they really got screwed by Texas A&M backing out of their non-conference schedule a couple of years ago, and by when they went and tried to find another Power Five school, they just couldn't get it done. So they they play Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State. I think they went a combined. 
like six games last season uh, between the three of them. Uh, so they, they play a very weak non-conference schedule. That's three wins right there. Uh, Oregon State, well, I think they'll probably be better coached under Jonathan Smith, and it's a road game. I think that's a game that you can safely say Oregon's probably going to win that one as well. Arizona State's kind of in a rebuilding mode. That's a home game. They'll be able to win that one. Uh, and then Washington State's going to be a rebuild. Cal's still in a rebuild. You know, those are you know two other games. You know, right there, you're already around six or seven games. And you know they're going to struggle, and they're going to have their you know their battles with a Washington, and they're going to have their battles with a, a Stanford. Both of those games, however, are at home this season, opposed to uh, going up to Washington and going up going down to Stanford last season. So if they can pick off one of those, if they can pick off a, a road a road game at Arizona or or Utah, which are you know certainly capable of doing, you're already at eight wins right there. So I, I'm taking the over. If we fast forward to February 2019 and Oregon have indeed exceeded that seven and a half over under by, let's say, two or three wins, uh, what do you think will have gone so right for them to overachieve expectations like that? I think Justin Herbert being healthy, you know, Oregon's trajectory could be drastically different this season if Herbert never got hurt in 2017. He had a fractured collarbone middle of the season, missed four games or five games, excuse me. Um, and, you know, they just didn't have any depth behind him at quarterback. If, if he stays healthy, they have arguably a first-round draft pick at quarterback, a really good offensive line, some experience in the running back position group, and then a loaded front seven. But that right there is, is going to be enough for them to win eight games. So if if we look at that next year and they, you know, they win nine, ten games, it's, it's because Herbert stays healthy and the defensive front seven plays up to par. What do you think a worst case scenario would look like for the Ducks in 2018? Oh, that's pretty easy. A replica of what happened last year. Herbert goes down early in the season with some kind of long-term injury. Um, and if, if that happens, you know, I, I just don't see, you know, Braxton Burmeister, a sophomore who, who had to replace him last year as a red, as a true freshman or Tyler Shuck, an elite 11 quarterback, a four-star prospect in the 2018 class. You know, those two guys will have to duke it out to, to see who's going to be the backup to Herbert. But if Herbert goes down, the season projections for Oregon drastically change. I know this early into a coach's tenure where he hasn't even coached a, a regular season game yet, it's hard for there to be too many negatives. But how does Cristobal seem to be settling into the head gig? Oh, it, it's gone as smooth as you could expect uh, an in-hire would. You know, when he was the offensive coordinator here, under Willie Taggart, um, co-offensive coordinator with Marcus Arroyo. Uh, he kept Arroyo on staff and elevated him to, you know, offensive coordinator. He also kept the associate head coach and, and Joe Salavea, who's along the defensive line. He, he kept the defensive coordinator, uh, Jim Levitt from going to Florida state or pursuing other options. Uh, he kept the safeties coach and Keith Hayward, a receivers coach and Michael Johnson. Um, you know, and so he's the, the transition from, Crystal Ball becoming off from going from offensive coordinator to head coach has been really smooth. And quite honestly, the recruiting uh, bit of it is also clicking at a high level right now. You, you look at this program, they're just outside the top 10 in recruiting, just kind of where they were, you know, a couple spots behind uh, last season when, when they had a top five class with Willie Taggart, I think around this time last year. So recruiting is going just as well. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, the, the spring practices that we've been able to watch, the emphasis on on fundamentals, the emphasis on physicality uh, are, are, have been ramped up under Crystal Ball. And it seems like 
the players and the program are, 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 are you know, taking it in, in stride and, and really embracing that mentality. And, you know, you, you don't hear much negativity coming out of the football program right now. I know even when the Ducks were at their heights and, you know, playing in a national championship game, not that many long, not that long ago, um, the recruiting was never at a consistent top five, top 10 level. Is there an expectation that the Ducks should be able to attain that level of recruiting prowess? I know with this staff that Crystal Ball has built, and Crystal Ball himself is considered one of the best recruiters in the country, uh, but he's gone out and he's, he's gotten – uh, a couple other really ace recruiters, Dante Williams, Keith Hayward, Joe Salavea, uh, on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then on the offensive side of the ball, Marcus, uh, Arroyo is you know, proving to be a really good recruiter as well. Um, and then you, you combine that with the skill development. I, I think top five every year expectations, probably unfair just because the logistics and, you know, where Oregon is and, you know, the demographics of, you know, how many elite recruits are in their state or within a 150 mile radius, you know, of the campus. There's just not that many there, but I, I think it's fair to say that, Hey, you know, two out of four years, Oregon needs to have a top 10 class. And, you know, those other four, two years that they don't get it, they need to stay in the top 25. Um, and I, you know, I, they're certainly going to try to get top five classes every season. Um, but I, I don't think it's a realistic goal that they can hit every single season because if, you know, they just don't have the, the, the four star and the five star guys within the state of Oregon, within the state of Washington, Idaho, that they can go in and, you know, get, get on campus six or seven times. Cause it's a three hour, four hour drive to campus. There's just not enough prospects in their immediate region, but they've shown they can go into Texas. They've shown they can go into, into Florida. And then you, there are all these, you know, hot spots of California, Arizona, Nevada, you know, you, you go into those areas and, Hawaii is another one and, and you get the, you know, the best players out of there. You get the best player out of Oregon every year. Top, top 10 is a realistic goal. Matt Preem covers the Oregon Ducks for Duck Territory. You can find him on Twitter at P-R-E-H-M-M-R-247. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, no problem. There's a new episode of The Morning Blitz every weekday, so we'll be back in your podcast feed tomorrow morning with the number 24 team in the 24-7 Sports Summer Top 25 Countdown. There will be a companion article to go along with each installment of the Summer Top 25 on 247sports.com, so be sure to check those out as well.